I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Story time. In June of 1947, multiple ships traversing the trade routes of Malacca, which is located between Sumatra and Malaysia, claimed to have picked up a series of SOS distress signals. The unknown ship's message was as simple as it was disturbing, all officers including captain are dead, lying in Chartroum and bridge. Possibly whole crew dead. This communication was followed by a burst of indecipherable Morse code, then a final, grim message, I die. This cryptic proclamation was followed by tomb-like silence. 
The crews that received the message were able to triangulate the source of these broadcasts and deduce that they were likely emanating from a Dutch freighter known as the SS Orang Maidan. A merchant ship known as the Silver Star was closest to the presumed location of the Orang Maidan, 400 nautical miles southeast of the Marshall Islands. Within hours, the Silver Star caught sight of the Orang Maidan rising and falling in the choppy waters of the Malacca Strait. As the merchant craft neared the ill-omened vessel, the crew noticed that there was no sign of life on the deck. The men on the Silver Star began to call out and motion to the Orang Maidan. There was no response. The captain of the Silver Star assembled a boarding party. The brave men boarded the ship and made a grisly discovery. The decks of the vessel were littered with the corpses of the Dutch crew, their eyes wide, their arms grasping at unseen assailants their faces twisted into revolting visages of agony and horror. Even the ship's dog was dead, its once intimidating snarl frozen into a ghastly grimace. The boarding party found the captain's remains on the bridge, while his officers' cadavers were strewn about the wheelhouse and chart room. The communications officer was still at his post, as dead as the rest, his fingertips resting on the telegraph. All of the corpses, according to reports, bore the same terrified, wide-eyed expressions as the crew on deck. The temperature outside was 110 Fahrenheit, but the search party reported feeling a cold chill in the nadir of the hold. The captain of the Silver Star decided that they would tether themselves to the Orang Maidan and tow it back to port, but as soon as the crew attached the tow line to the Dutch ship they noticed ominous billows of smoke pouring up from the number 4 hold. The boarding party scarcely had a chance to cut the tow line and make it back to the Silver Star before the Orang Maidan exploded with such tremendous force that it lifted itself from the water and swiftly sank. The crew watched the Dutch vessel disappear beneath the briny depths. So what exactly happened? Theories have ranged from pirates to the paranormal. The most widely believed claim is that sea water could have entered the ship's hold reacting with the perilous cargo to release poisonous gases, which then caused the crew to suffocate. At this point the onrushing salt water might have reacted with the nitroglycerin, creating the explosive effect that was said to cause the ship's ultimate demise. The fact that there are no registration records for the Orang Maidan remains a troublesome detail. There have been many claims that records may have been eradicated by a savvy group of governmental conspirators due to the nature of the ship's mission. Nobody knows what happened to the SS Orang Maidan except for the crew who now rest at the bottom of the ocean. I spent a lot of time stargazing as a kid, so one summer, my stepdad bought me a really nice telescope with a camera objective to look at the moon and stars with. One night we went out to the hydroelectric dam 40 miles from the nearest town to get some telescopic pictures of the Milky Way. The moon was out and about half illumination without a cloud in the night sky. We were out there until 1am and we were packing up the telescope and other gear when something with a simply enormous wingspan sped silently over our heads very quickly. It was pitch black and cast a shadow on the ground from the moonlight. It was gone in almost an instant. We looked at each other and both exclaimed in harmony what in the F was that? I have never heard of any kind of aircraft with a wingspan that large or even one that could move in such complete silence. 
Even gliders make some kind of wind noise. We were far enough away from any airport or military base for anything to be flying that low. It was like something not of this world. It creeps me out to this day, some 20 years later. Last November, in the southern part of the Olympic Mountains, I embarked on a hiking adventure with my loyal dog. We had covered about 10 miles when we decided to veer off the established trail and explore the untrodden wilderness. The dense brush challenged our progress, but we pressed on, driven by curiosity. As we waded our way through the thick foliage, my dog abruptly stopped and began lowering himself to the ground. I was taken aback by this unusual behavior, as I had never seen him act in such a manner before. Instinctively, I followed suit and crouched down beside him, trying to remain as still and silent as possible. In the midst of the tense silence, a sudden and distinct crunch shattered the tranquility, resonating from a point approximately 20 to 30 feet away. My heart skipped a beat, and I felt the adrenaline surge through my veins. My dog remained motionless beside me, his senses acutely attuned to the enigmatic sound. Time seemed to stretch as we held our breath, waiting anxiously for any sign of movement. Minutes passed, each one dragging like an eternity, until finally, a figure emerged from the wilderness, just 20 feet away from our concealed position. It was a creature, most similar to a Bigfoot. My eyes widened in disbelief as I witnessed the towering figure standing before me. The creature, often regarded as a figment of imagination, stood imposingly in the dappled sunlight filtering through the dense forest canopy. Without hesitation, the enigmatic being vanished into the depths of the woods, disappearing as quickly as it had appeared. Early 2000s I was traveling a remote highway in eastern Nevada close to the Utah border when I saw some lights in the horizon. I assumed they were lights to some mine and thought nothing of it until I had gone another 20 miles and realized they were still there. I pulled over to a gas station and asked the lady if she knew what the lights were from. She does not answer me, only turns off all the lights and then picks up the phone to call someone and tell them, they're back. All of a sudden various groups of people start showing up walking from either direction in the highway to congregate at the gas station and stare off silently toward the horizon. Where these people came from I have no idea because I had not noticed any houses. I simply made my way back to the car and discreetly went on my merry way wondering what the F just happened. I was a ranger a climbing ranger, at the Allegheny State Park in New York from 2003 to 2008. This park is well known for its free-roaming bison herd and the number of also unsolved murders that occurred there the past 150 years or so. During the 4th of July weekend in 2007, I had an experience that I just could not explain. I was assigned to the eastern side of the park to staff the entrance booth and hiking trails. In the other side of Route 98 from the main campground, there was also a designated picnic area that was quite further back in the woods. I drove into the park and parked my Hummer in the parking lot behind the picnic area. After sitting in the vehicle for a few moments, then got out to open the gate that leads to the picnic area. 
As I was walking back out to my vehicle, I noticed a family of four sitting at the table. They were in the process of unpacking their food. I greeted them kindly, opened the gate, and drove up to the booth. I was expecting that I would be the only ranger on duty for the rest of the weekend. I was wrong. I was actually the third ranger assigned there. I arrived a little bit before noon, and one ranger had just left. It was a beautiful day, and people were out in droves. I had quite a bit of traffic. At one point, I was helping three separate groups of people, all with their own issues of some kind. There was a delay in water supply, apparently, so I was calling utility companies to try and fix them. I also had to give two people different directions since they weren't sure where to go. I'm not sure how long I'd been occupied with these tasks, but I was beginning to notice it was getting a little darker than usual. Earlier, the daylight savings time change had just occurred, and I was getting ready to check the woods on the other side of the picnic area. Then I noticed a car coming down the side of the road. The road was a secondary access and led to a small picnic area and the Alcane Cemetery, which is quite old. I was surprised to see the car come out of nowhere, so I got back behind the booth and watched it drive up to the area and stop. I was puzzled because I thought the area was closed. The driver and the passenger got out, looked around, and got back into the vehicle very suspiciously. They drove out of the area and out of sight. I immediately went to the booth and found the key to the radio and carried it with us. I called the on-call ranger and told them about the incident and the two seemed very sketchy, like they were looking for something. I also told them about the other rangers assigned to the area. He said there was nothing he could do until their shift ended at around 8pm. I watched the road for a little while longer and noticed the light was now getting dimmer. I decided to check out the woods to the west of the picnic area. The area was quite hard to access and required some bushwhacking. As I walked along the natural trail, I noticed that most light was gone. I stopped and looked around. I noticed it had now become very quiet, just about no sounds whatsoever. I began to walk more quickly. I had a bad feeling about being out there alone. As I was making my way along the trail, I heard something walking towards me. I stopped and listened. I swear that I could hear breathing. I was scared but somehow managed to get out my flashlight and turn it on. The beam of light illuminated the area in front of me, and I finally saw what was standing about 15 feet in front of me. The thing was 7 to 8 feet tall, made from a combination of ferns and skin. It looked like a mixture of bear and a human. I raised the radio to my mouth to call the on-call ranger again but it let out the most terrifying growl that I've ever heard. It raised its right arm and lunged at me, but I turned and ran as fast as I could down the trail. I knew that I only had about a quarter mile to go before I would reach the open meadow area. I was trying my hardest not to look back, but I did so and saw that the thing was keeping up with me with ease. I kept telling myself that it was just an animal and there was nothing supernatural about it, but that did not work. As I reached the open meadow, I tripped on a fallen log and went down. I was trying to get up and run when I heard it coming. A shot rang out, and I could hear the cracking of twigs and branches. Then the on-call ranger appeared and told me to stay down. The thing was circling us, but it would not approach any closer. The ranger fired two more shots. 
We could hear the thing running away. He helped me up and walked me back to the booth. I injured my knee during the fall but did not want to seek any medical help. We had a mutual agreement together to keep quiet about this and to not tell our supervisors or anybody else. We know we have no idea what kind of professional retribution there would be or potentially career kill. Since all this, I've moved to Georgia, and I now work for a private security firm. I still do a lot of hiking and camping but never really go off trail if I can help it. Thanks for your time. I tightened my grip on my M16 rifle as we cautiously made our way through the dense, treacherous terrain of the remote island stronghold in Montenegro. Leading our highly trained US Special Forces team was Jack, a seasoned veteran with nerves of steel and an unwavering determination. Our mission was critical, infiltrate the stronghold controlled by a dangerous Russian terrorist organization, rescue a high-profile Ukrainian hostage, and prevent a catastrophic attack on NATO soil. The stakes couldn't have been higher, and every step we took brought us closer to danger. As we bypassed heavily armed guards and circumvented intricate security systems, the tension in the air was palpable. The adrenaline coursed through my veins, keeping me alert and focused on the task at hand. We were a well-oiled machine, moving swiftly and silently as we approached our target. Finally, after what seemed like an eternity, we reached the heart of the stronghold. The room where the hostage was held captive was heavily guarded, but our training and precision allowed us to neutralize the threat swiftly and without raising the alarm. With our Ukrainian hostage safe, we set explosives to destroy the stronghold and eliminate any trace of the terrorist organization's operations. With the countdown ticking down, we made our way to a pre-designated rendezvous point deep within the woods. Fatigue weighed on our bodies, but our determination pushed us forward. Little did we know that an unexpected encounter awaited us. As we reached the rendezvous point, we caught sight of a creature unlike anything we had ever encountered before. It stood an imposing nine feet tall, with shoulders as wide as four feet. Its stringy hair offered glimpses of the immense muscles that flexed beneath its taut skin. Its thighs were as round as tree trunks, and its lack of a discernible neck accentuated its cone-shaped head. With long arms that swung with unnerving grace, I struggled to find the words to describe this hybrid creature, a terrifying amalgamation of half-gorilla and half-neanderthal man. Fear and astonishment gripped us as the creature locked its gaze on our team. With a sudden burst of speed, it charged towards us, driven by an unknown purpose. We unleashed a volley of rounds from our M16 rifles, aiming to subdue the beast, but our bullets seemed to have little effect. The creature endured the barrage, shrugging off the impacts as it closed in on us. Time seemed to slow as panic mixed with determination in our eyes. We fought with all our might, engaging in a desperate struggle to survive. But just as it seemed our fate was sealed, the creature abruptly turned and fled into the shadows of the surrounding forest. Its eerie, guttural growls echoed in the distance, leaving us bewildered and awestruck. Relief washed over us as the thumping sound of helicopter blades grew louder in the distance. Our extraction had arrived. As we boarded the helicopter and rose into the air, the question lingered in our minds, what kind of creature had we encountered?
I was patrolling in my cruiser when I noticed something out of the corner of my eye. It looked like a man-sized lizard walking on two legs, crossing up ahead. It had shiny scales all over it, and it moved very quickly, like it was very comfortable walking on two legs without a problem. Its eyes were this fiery red color. It turned over to look at me, so I did a U-turn for it as soon as it disappeared, thinking this was just some freaking Halloween costume. I drove around aimlessly, checking every road and nook and cranny on the path before going off about where this thing had been seen. About an hour after that, just outside of Colchester County, our cruiser got attacked by what we think was the same lizard creature, except now it came from behind and shattered the back glass. It nearly almost got into the cruiser had it not been knocked off the car and shot at. After this happened, the weird things began happening to all the officers who experienced this, bad nightmares, strange paranormal happenings at home. Then it became the entire police station. Everybody felt like they were under attack by some kind of demon or devil. There were only so many details to remember about these things. They kind of reminded me of gremlins or ghostbusters, except they were so gross and reptilian looking. The only one who seemed to understand at the time was our second to the chief officer, Schaefer. He had had personal run-ins with these things before, individually and by himself while hunting. And then other strange paranormal happenings began happening all over the police station. Even worse, things got increasingly violent, and I began fearing for my life. Even now, I feel like whatever that thing was had attached evil spirits to me and my fellow colleagues. Do you have any idea at all? I know you're just a YouTube guy, but do you have any idea at all what this could be or if this means anything? I'm just an officer who's desperate looking for help. One of my buddies is a private pilot, and this is my favorite story of his. A friend of his had to fly a small jet filled with half a dozen or so caskets, that did in fact contain deceased bodies. Some family issues came up so his friend asked if he could make the flight for him. No problem, it's a quick flight with decent pay, why not? Once he accepts, his friend warns him not to take the aircraft above 30,000 feet. He's a bit puzzled but doesn't worry about it too much, and pretty soon he's in the air along with the least sociable passengers imaginable. Everything's going fine the first few hours, until he notices a heavy weather system building ahead of him. He keeps the same altitude of 30,000 feet for a while, but pretty soon the turbulence is just too much, so he says F it and hauls on up to 45,000 feet. No more turbulence, just smooth sailing at this point. A few minutes later he starts hearing a strange noise coming from the back of the plane, a strange moaning sound almost, accompanied by the occasional bump. This is pretty sketchy because he's the only crew on the plane, and unless this is some World War Z shit, those passengers shouldn't be making any noise. But nevertheless, the strange moaning and bumps continue. He tries his best to ignore them until there is another bump, much louder than the rest, and a very intense moaning sound. He quickly looks back and sees one of the caskets is open with the person inside sitting almost completely upright. Well shit, this really is some World War Z mess. He just stares at the dead body moaning at him and hopes to god the man was a vegan and wants some grains instead of his brains. 
The more the body moans though, the more it slinks back into the open coffin. Now the 30,000 feet ceiling makes sense, the remaining air in the lungs of the bodies expanded as the altitude increased until they couldn't hold it anymore and some began to leak out, in the form of the creepiest and least sexy moan possible. The one that sat upright expanded so much that his chest cavity actually became buoyant enough to partially lift his upper body. Once he realized this he noped the F right down to 25,000 feet and never covered a flight for that friend again. My ship pulled into El Salvador I believe it was, maybe one of the neighboring Central American countries for fuel but that's beside the point. As we are pulling in I'm on the bridge wing as bearing taker using an alidade to shoot bearings through a slightly magnified lens. It's absolutely dark out aside from our navigation lights and the few dim lights near the pier so my sight was pretty adjusted to the dark at this point. I happened to see something catch my eye in the sky maybe a mile and a half off our starboard side moving towards land at an altitude probably around 1000 feet. It looked sort of like a B-2 stealth bomber but more triangular. There were zero light emissions coming from it and it was absolutely silent. Imagine a giant black triangular kite. That's what it reminded me of. It was moving around 200 to 300 miles per hour if I had to guess. I watched until this dark shape against the starry backlit sky was too far into the distance to see it. After we tied up I asked my friend who was the port bearing taker and the lookout if they saw it and they both said no. That was the freakiest thing I've ever seen and maybe truly consider it to be a UFO. This happened back in 2011 to my dad. His job involves a lot of travel, so he's almost always driving alone from sunrise to early dawn, depending on the time zone. When he stops at a restaurant, around 8 in the evening, he frequents, he places his things on a table and proceeds to the toilet. By the time he gets back to his table, he notices two servings of complimentary soup. He questions the staff why they place two bowls of soup when he's the only traveling. The staff puzzlingly replies that when my dad went to the toilet, a long-haired lady dressed in white exited the car and proceeded to the toilet as well. He just brushes it off, finishes his meal and then continues with his travels, but not before one of the staff cautions him to be careful. While driving, a suddenly downpour obscures his vision and just when he was about to make a curve one of his front tires breaks off. Thankfully he managed to control the car and manages to stop the vehicle which was inches away from falling into a deep ravine. So it's 2 a.m., dark, and raining really hard. He grabs a flashlight searches for his tire, does some makeshift repairs and hobbles the car to the nearest town for repairs. I don't know if the two events were related. When my dad told me about what happened I immediate thought that he might have encountered a banshee, a spirit that heralds death but it's a big world out there, who knows. I was about 10 to 12 when it happened, can't remember exactly. I was coming home from school, and as I entered my building, an unfamiliar man in a black jacket followed me inside and started walking up the stairs behind me. I wasn't spooked out because I had lots of neighbors and often saw people I didn't know. The thing was, 
I live in a flat that is in the very top part of the building, and no one else lives on that level. So when the man didn't stop by the last flat below mine, I was immediately alarmed. But, being a 10 or 12 year old, I didn't do or say anything and just kept nearing my flat, hoping that maybe he was an acquaintance of my parents. I don't recall exactly how I felt, but I know I was not nearly as terrified as I should have been. He was on the landing when I reached the door. I rang the bell, and my sister opened. The moment the man saw that there was someone inside, he turned around without a word and started walking downstairs. Relieved as hell, I hurried inside. My sister, 15 to 17 at the time, noticed the man and asked who that was, and I just mumbled I didn't know. We never talked about it again and didn't even tell our parents. It was only sometime later that I realized just how badly it could have ended if the flat had been empty. Pretty sure we saw a dead body floating in the water once around 17 miles east of the Treasure Coast in Florida. We had just finished up a great day of offshore trolling for Mahi and were heading back inshore running about 25 knots. We weren't paying very much attention at the time as we were in the open water and primarily using the GPS for navigation. I'm not sure what caused me to look but as we are cruising along I happened to look off the port side of the boat and saw a yellow blob about 6 foot in length floating on the surface of the water. I alerted the captain and we slowed down and turned around to go back and check. It was starting to get late and the sun was almost completely down. We were unable to find what I had just seen so we continued our trip back to shore. Two days later I saw an article in our local paper about a fisherman who had been recovered from the water and he was dressed in yellow slicks with a yellow rain jacket when they pulled him from the water. I'm convinced his body was the yellow object I had seen on our trip. When I was in high school I was really into photography. Around this time, I was 14 years old and a freshman. A few years prior our family had moved in a new subdivision outside Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Our subdivision backed up against a large forested area, and the entire surrounding area was largely a mix of forests and farms. One of my hobbies was to dress up in camo and hang out back in the woods with my camera, trying to take photos of wildlife, deer, foxes, shit even squirrels, there isn't exactly a lot of exotic wildlife in Wisconsin. I had been doing this for a while at this point, and had constructed, no joke, a sort of ghillie suit out of old army BDS and some deer blind material, cut and pinned around my body. I even had segments of blind material on my camera. One day I'm making my way back out of the woods to the road that dead ends into the woods from our subdivision. A small part of our subdivision was older, maybe 1980s era. This short road slash spur came from this older part of the subdivision, penetrated maybe 100 to 200 feet into the woods, and ended. If you were entering the woods from the road, you would drop down a few feet into the woods after stepping off the asphalt. Coming out of the woods, I had just reached the bottom of this short incline to make my way up onto the street when I saw him, an old man, standing there, alone, staring at the ground at the end of the dead end. I still don't know why I froze. The neighborhood was friendly, everyone said hi to everyone, 
I still can't imagine why I wouldn't continue up the road and say hello. Instead I froze, and then, almost automatically, took a step backward, almost as if I had hoped to blend back into the woods. I stood there, watching the man. He was looking at the ground, thinking, like he was contemplating something. Then out of nowhere he said, and I shit you not I will never forget these words. Man. I spit on his grave he hawks a logie, and spits on the ground. A few more moments passed, with him looking at the ground. I finally mustered up some courage and stepped forward, a few steps, pretending like I hadn't just been standing there but was working my way out of the woods. After three steps my movement caught his eye. He seemed somewhat startled, and slightly annoyed slash aggressive as he responded to my hello with a well hello, you certainly like to sneak up there on people don't you? His tone was assertive, like an old grandpa about to scold you. I apologized and we spoke for a minute or two about what I was doing in the woods. Then he wrapped up the conversation, got in a car that I remember being something an old man would drive, a Buick or something, and drove off. As he drove off, I snapped a photo of his license plate. I turned around, walked back to five steps or so we had drifted from where I saw him standing, and on the ground, in the dirt, was this weird symbol. I can only describe it, it was a triangle, with a cross on top of it, and the letter C inscribed inside the circle. I took a photo of it too. I still have no idea what any of it was about. This was 2001 before the internet was really as robust as it is today when it comes to finding random things like this. All I know there are processed and stored Kodak Tri-X 300 negatives of the photos I took of the symbol in his license plate stash somewhere back at my parents' house in Wisconsin. If anyone has any ideas, I'll be head back for Christmas. Maybe I should dig him up. I live in rural New Mexico just outside of Albuquerque. Last summer I was stringing corral fence. A Navajo friend, Tom Bill, visiting while he attended a powwow in Albuquerque, watched as I hammered away at a corner post. The horses began to spook. What's got them stirred up? He asked. I told him that every night coyotes ran down our road, making the dogs bark and the horses go crazy. Then Tom told me a story. One night last April, about 2 a.m., he said, L was driving along the Crown Point Road in my truck, when I heard a noise. Seemed at first to be coming from the engine, a strange sound, like a dog panting. I got car trouble, I thought. Then I heard a footfall behind me, back over my right shoulder. I looked down at the speedometer, and I was traveling about 55 or 60 miles an hour. I glanced into my rearview mirror, and the hair stood up on the back of my neck. There was some guy I'd never seen, a Navajo, and he was running just in back of the tailgate. I couldn't see his face, just his torso lit by my taillights, his arms and legs flying up and down incredibly fast. I sped up to around 75 and looked back. He had disappeared, but I heard a breathing sound right by my left ear. I looked out the window, and there he was, running along, keeping pace with me. As I was looking at him out the window, he veered off toward Crown Point. I knew he was no ordinary man, because he was traveling so fast. Just before he disappeared into the brush, 
he had changed into a wolf. So, you better watch out. Those coyotes spooking your horses may not be coyotes. My uncle once told me, and this was a very chilling story, about a time when he and one of my other uncles went deer hunting in the foothills of Mount Taylor. He saw a deer up in some rocks and shot at it. Then he heard a voice, a human voice, somebody calling out his name and crying for him to help. My uncle was seized with fear at the sound of this voice summoning him. Cautiously, he went up there to see what was going on. He saw a man lying on his side, wounded. The man was only half human, the top half, and the rest of him was some kind of animal. I don't know if it was a wolf or not, I think it was a deer, but my uncle knew this was some kind of spirit. He was afraid to come any closer. He felt that it would get him, if he approached any nearer. Then the rest of the men came, and they- Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. He said, let's get out of here. This is some kind of witch or spirit that wants to take human form. My uncle told this story in great detail. I was doing survival training for the Air Force and on the second night, not 50 yards from our campsite, I hear gunshots. I've spent a lot of time around guns, so I know what 50 yards sounds like with a handgun or a long gun. This was a smaller caliber handgun, maybe 38 caliber or 9mm. We decided to ignore it as it was probably the cadre doing something to play mind tricks, so we didn't do anything about it. A few days later as we finished, we found out that a man had been shot in the wilderness near us. In the last few years, I have yet to see any news that has to do with the random shooting of a guy near Colorado Springs. It was either in Sailor Park or near USAF grounds, I can't remember exactly due to the amount of training we did. I have been hesitant on posting any story mainly due to the fact that I don't want anyone ever thinking that I or the person the story is about, is crazy. Although saying this actually happened sounds very cliche, but I can assure you the following stories are true. Now before I begin the first story, just for a bit of background, I am an intern for a church that does work on a Navajo reservation site helping the community on people's homes like roofing repair, repainting, and interior fixing. 8-5, with good pay and nice people so overall I'm happy with this. And as a bit of a disclaimer, I'm not trying to offend Navajo tradition in any way, this is just a first-hand story on what is currently happening on my trip, over the past two months of the internship, I have begun to grow fairly close with some of the residents on the reservation. One lady in particular that I got to know pretty well was the superstitious type, like said never be outside at night or other random seeming things to me like that, but the biggest taboo I knew to never mention, mainly because I was told by my superiors, 
was Navajo folklore like skinwalkers. However, one day it was very different in the sense that the question was just burning within me. I was on my lunch break after wrapping up painting parts of her house, and she sits next to me on her porch and we talk for a while but I finally feel comfortable enough to ask her about any folklore about werewolves or anything of that sorts. I didn't really expect a response. I thought maybe she'd quickly say no then change the topic, but if anything I was more scared I may offend her. But to my surprise she turns her head looking toward the outside scenery, hesitates but then says yes, I know some and I've experienced it too. She proceeded to tell me a description on the apparent equivalent to a werewolf. To paraphrase she said, werewolves look like normal people but masked in white paint, covering their face, arms, and chest. Their whole body is white as a corpse, covered with black symbols quite possibly related to devil worshipping. More specifically, they are grave diggers and necromancers as well, they dig bodies up only to steal jewelry, although they may perform other acts to corpses as she quickly strayed away from going into too much detail about that point, werewolves also get their power from the devil. That is how they are able to possess such supernatural strength and endurance. I was surprised to hear this, although I figured werewolves wouldn't look anything like that in Twilight or Scooby-Doo. Although, deep down even I thought she sounded a bit crazy. Before I could ask more questions about these werewolves, she began to tell me her own interaction with these supernatural beasts, and her story still gives me chills. She explained that one day her and her husband were driving on the curvy roads alongside the mountains only to find a woman with her face covered by her hands and was kneeling in the middle of the road appearing as though she was crying. The woman looks up towards the car's headlights to reveal the very same white paint and sacrificial symbols mentioned previously. Her husband honked his horn and quickly slams on the brakes only to be too late and hears the loud cracking sound of the women's bones and the splash of blood all over the windshield. Once her and her husband stopped the car safely, and processed what the hell just happened, they quickly run over to the spot where they hit the women. However, once they reached the spot, there was no body, but not only that, there was no trace of blood either. Just as a side note, this part of the reservation had some cliffs but it was relatively flat land so it would be obvious to tell where someone is, especially if they just got hit by a car. Puzzled by what the possible explanation could be for this occurrence, her and her husband drove back home trying to neglect the thought that they just witnessed a werewolf. However, being the non-paranormal believers they were at the time they tried to just close this occurrence off as them just losing their minds. As interesting as her story was, this got me thinking, is it possible for this werewolf story to be true? Or is this her own way of describing a skinwalker or other supernatural phenomenon because she didn't think I knew what a skinwalker was? This question kept circulating through my head. So as you could expect, the following nights made it harder for me to sleep comfortably. Because of that, during the workdays I would feel more and more mentally drained, almost paranoid. At the end of the week around 6, I was sitting in the car driving back to the church site and was in the mental state of mind where I was half awake and half asleep. My buddy was driving, and claimed that he wanted to pull over to the gas station that was near the church to grab a couple of snacks to munch on during our debrief time in our cabin. Since I was too tired to argue, 
I said fine and laid my face against the window and tried to doze off while waiting for my friend. However, I had the weirdest feeling that I was being watched, so naturally I opened my eyes and looked out the window, I saw nothing. However when I turned my head, out of the corner of my eye I thought I saw a white figure, just as the woman described previously. I looked back and nothing was there. But I swear I saw something. Since it was beginning to get darker outside, I quickly sat up in my seat to readjust my vision, but when I looked back out the window it was almost as though the figure vanished. Perplexed, I stepped outside the car and looked around but there was no trace of a creature even existing. My buddy comes back to the car and questions what the heck I was doing. Debating whether or not I should tell him, I decided to just say. Oh, I'm just getting some fresh air, let's head out. The following days have been even worse for me. My mood is getting worse, I'm feeling way more paranoid that something is out there, and at night I can almost swear that I hear scream in the far distance. Everything outside just looks 100 times scarier too because there is barely any outside light besides the moonlight, so everything has more of an exaggerated appearance. But believe me I know I sound crazy. But the worst part is that if I tell anyone they'll think I'm crazy too. So I have been debating whether or not I actually saw the werewolf that the lady described, or if it was just my tired eyes playing tricks on me. I hope someone can find some sort of answer to this werewolf mystery. Also, if you have any similar paranormal stories like this, please share. I am trying my best to become more aware about the paranormal. If I find anything then I will give future updates about any more encounters or odd discoveries. On my boat 35 miles due east off the coast of Asbury Park, New Jersey, left from Sandy Hook. Been fishing all day chumming the waters for blues and what have ya. It was sweltering hot and just my buddy and I with four poles out and hours have passed. We're sitting on deck chairs that put our head height just below the rear deck gunnel so our vision is trained on the poles and not our surroundings. Around 1 p.m. comes and the sun is just beating us up and my friend says, I'm so hot I'm going to jump in the water and starts to take off his shirt. I immediately tell him no way are you doing that. We've been chumming for 5 hours now and it's a very bad idea, a shark will get you. I tell him take a gallon of water out of the fridge and to douse himself. So he goes to the galley, fetches the water, and stands up in the aft cockpit and cools himself off and then comes back to the lower deck and plops back down in the deck chair and says, I feel much better. I then say, yeah, at least you weren't shark bait. And two seconds later we hear the unmistakable loud bang of a gun. We both shoot up and as we do we hear another shot and yank our necks to the forward starboard where there is another boat we did not even know was there with one guy hanging onto a rod for dear life and another guy leaning over pointing a shotgun into the water while he fires off another round. After another 15 minutes or so they attempt to haul this beast lurking below into the boat. By now we know it's a shark but the size and type is what really threw me off. It was a 9 feet bull shark. First off, a bull shark is a known human attacker and surely would have gone after my friend had he jumped in and secondly, why was it so far off in deep water? It could have been the most unlucky coincidence ever. 
After consulting the water temp charts later that evening it seems it probably followed the prevailing warm current so far offshore and doing so was definitely out of its normal hunting grounds and likely very hungry as they caught it on a 6-pound snapper as bait. It would have loved my 200-pound friend to death. We fished together many times after that and not once did he ever mutter the thought of jumping in to cool off. We were hunting antelope in a very remote spot in the west desert of Utah. We were four hours drive from the nearest town and had camped several miles off the nearest road or marked trail. I remember it being the darkest night I've ever experienced. Could not see my hand in front of my face, but the stars were amazing. I awoke in the middle of my sleep to the sound of a low flying plane. We opened the tent to see a small plane coming in for a landing on the other side of a hill. We were scared out of our minds as we were in a spot probably few people have ever been in. An hour later we heard the plane take off into the night sky. We couldn't sleep after that. The next morning we climbed the hill and slowly peered over to see a makeshift runway there in the desert. We've tried to find the spot on Google Maps for years with no luck and still aren't sure what to make of it all. Truck driver here. About a year ago I was stopped at a Flying J in Indiana. There was plenty of parking so I parked way in the back away from everyone else to enjoy the quiet. I took my dog for a run, took a shower, and went to sleep. Later on in the night I started to have terrible nightmares. I can't remember the details, but it was 7th level of hell type of shit. Finally I wake from my horror and I just hear these hell beasts whining, screaming, and wailing. The most awful noises you have ever heard in your life. Confused and dazed I roll around in the sleeper a little and try to get my bearings. I figure the sounds are part of my dream and I'm not really awake. Well the nightmares and the sounds continue. Finally I get out of the sleeper and check my mirrors. I see a livestock hauler parked next to me. Weird. He could have parked in a secluded area like I did. Most livestock guys do this anyways. I figure he's just got some hogs that are going nuts. I'm too tired to move my truck so I go back to sleep. I wake up a little while later to the nightmares and sounds again. I have to pee so I figure I'll get out and see what the hell is going on. I get up to the cab and see that the livestock hauler is gone and the sounds have suddenly stopped. I start to question my sanity for a minute. As I open my door to get out my dog wakes up and follows me. This is when I really start to think I might be going nuts. My dog was asleep for the entire ordeal, he never even flinched. He's also a border collie, so when there's livestock around he gets hyper and in a hurting mood. I take a leak, get back in the truck and go back to sleep. Was a really weird couple of hours. I'm from Mexico and I attended a university near Amarillo, Texas. The journey from Mexico usually took around 10 hours by car, and the route was predominantly characterized by sprawling ranches and picturesque forests. On one particular occasion, I made the decision to begin my drive from Mexico at 8 p.m., aiming to travel throughout the night and avoid heavy traffic. As the clock struck midnight, I found myself passing by a series of ranches near San Antonio. 
The surrounding landscape was serene and bathed in the pale glow of the moon. It was then that something unexpected unfolded before my eyes, an encounter that would forever linger in my memory. A deer emerged from the darkness, gracefully crossing the highway directly in front of me. However, what set this sighting apart from any other was the peculiar way it moved. To my astonishment, the deer walked upright, using only its hind legs, resembling the gait of a human. I couldn't believe my eyes as I witnessed this extraordinary sight, a creature defying nature's expectations. As I processed the surreal scene before me, an eerie sensation washed over me. Suddenly, amidst the quiet solitude of the night, my mother's voice pierced through the air, echoing as if she were right there beside me within the confines of the truck. Her voice carried an urgent tone, filled with alarm and distress. Startled, I frantically scanned the vehicle, searching for any trace of my mother's presence. Yet, the cabin remained empty, devoid of any physical manifestation of her being. Confusion and a sense of unease gripped my heart. When I was a graduate student, I needed to travel up into the Arctic Circle in Canada to collect some atmospheric data that couldn't be collected close to civilization. The story that follows is one that I have shared with quite a few people over dinner or drinks, but there's one detail I've always left out when retelling it. This time I'm going to include that detail since it has always bothered me. The facility that was hosting me was a research station 20 km outside of the nearby small town that started life in the 1950s as a rocket launch base. Since then it has fallen in and out of disuse so it has a lot of creepy structures like old rocket gantries and shelters that are eerie, along with a collection of connected main buildings. This place can get pretty busy during the peak season as there are polar bears up there, but when I was visiting was decidedly off-peak, and it was going to be just me and two other researchers staying out there full-time. During the day there was also a mechanic and a facility manager, but not a lot of life. The nature of the measurements I was taking meant it had to be done late at night, so I set up my equipment at the beginning of the week and set about running the experiments. It was a slightly unnerving experience going from a thriving university campus to a lost-in-time rocket launch base in the middle of the Arctic, and I had a lot of trouble getting used to cooking meals for one or two in the gigantic kitchen meant to feed an army. I was occasionally talking to the two others at the base, but we mostly kept to ourselves. This meant that by Friday I was starting to get pretty bored. I looked around the room I was using as a research post and behind a decommissioned AIM-7D Sparrow rocket in the corner, I found a box of old VHS movies. Score. I rifled through the box and found a few good ones and watched them back to back to get through a particularly dull evening while I waited for the right time to start the night's tests. The final movie I ended up watching was the 1982 classic, the thing which I hadn't seen before but had heard was pretty good. It turns out this was a big mistake, as the movie, spoiler alert, is about researchers isolated in an arctic base as a body-snatching alien monster tears through them. This set the tone for the night as I have a poor tolerance for horror, suspense movies, but I figured I would go grab a drink with the other researchers, who would often be downstairs grabbing coffee at any hour of the night, and then get down to business. 
I hadn't been down all evening since I had been binge-watching crappy VHS tapes, but the complex seemed quiet. No radios were on, there were no movement sounds. A half-drunk cup of coffee sat on the table beside the crust of a sandwich, but the coffee was cold, as was the automatic coffee pot. No one had been here for hours. I thought this was quite weird as researchers usually can't go more than half an hour without a fresh cup of coffee. Seeing as it wasn't too late yet, I decided to knock on the door of one of the other researchers' dorm rooms. No answer. I searched the garage and the other connected buildings but found no one, only the howl of the wind and strange bumping noises from the metal structure creaking and settling. I reasoned that the other two researchers must be out late finishing some field work, and hoped they were alright. As creeped out and worried about the others as I was, I had work to do and had to put this out of my mind. I knew that people doing field work took handheld radios with them that had a receiver in the office, so I cranked up the volume to be sure I could hear it in case they needed to get a hold of the base which was me at this point. I set to work on my evening data collection that was going to last from just after 10.30pm until about 3am on this particular run. The first two hours were uneventful in terms of both the scientific data, and in terms of the situation at the base. The only change was that a strong wind was whipping up outside, meaning that ice crystals were filling the air and visibility was maybe 10 meters. I was getting very worried about whether the other two researchers were going to get back safely. Shortly after 12.30 things started to pick up on the scanning equipment, and the same events that caused the northern lights started to cause activity. Sadly I couldn't see the northern lights as the driving wind had whipped up too much ice into the air. My equipment could still detect it though, so that was a small victory. As I started to write down the time and intensity information in my log for the particularly strong 1248 event, from downstairs I heard KSHRRRKT. I jumped, breaking the tip of my pencil and tipping the chair over. I felt silly for jumping at what was probably just someone slamming a door but when the clatter of the chair falling subsided there was nothing again. Only the wind. I tentatively went downstairs to see who had come in but there was no one, and no snow or water on the floor. No one had entered the main door in hours. I stood stock still and listened carefully for five solid minutes, but heard nothing but the wind. No movement anywhere in the connected buildings of the base. I hate an event without an explanation, so it took me a long time to make myself head back upstairs and resume logging data, but no sooner had I done so than I heard someone shout something like "Og." My hair stood on end, I had goosebumps all over, I could tell from the way their shouts sounded that they were in one of the outlying buildings attached to the main base by sheltered hallways. I shouted hello back as I walked downstairs, but coming to a stop by the garage door I heard nothing back. Once again just the wind howling. At this point I was truly freaked out, and having watched the thing just hours earlier was not helping. I went into the garage and grabbed a short length of square steel tubing like a club. I spent the next 40 minutes slowly and methodically making my way through the base's buildings. I didn't find any water or snow at any of the entrances, no footprints or other signs of entry, and no signs of life anywhere. There was nobody here but me. I went back up to my work area, set the metal bar down on my lap, 
and basically just stared at the doorway until dawn. The scientifically interesting events were over, and I dared not turn my back or sleep as I had a creeping suspicion that there was someone else in the base that meant to do me harm. The next morning I finally got out of the chair and did another walk around, and just like the night before I found absolutely nothing that indicated that anyone else was there. I was decidedly freaked out about the shouts I had heard the night before and the fact that the other researchers hadn't returned. I knew going outside this time of year was dangerous because of polar bears, but I risked it and took a perimeter walk around the base anyway just to see if I could spot signs of the others. I found nothing. Pure beautiful empty arctic desolation everywhere, with the ancient launch buildings in the distance. No tire tracks, no footprints except my own. Not a damn thing. I ended up staying up all day and night Saturday as well, and thankfully there were no more unexplained shouts from distant parts of the complex. I was able to play some TF2 with a friend to relax a little, which was helpful, but I was sad to let him go as I was still completely on edge. There were also no signs of the other researchers whom I was afraid were lost slash dead at this point. I wrote down everything that had happened as I was sure that when the manager showed up on Monday they were going to be pretty damn suspicious of the new guy claiming the others disappeared without a trace. I finally crashed on Sunday, a nervous sleep-deprived wreck. I still took the time to stack shit on the stairs leading up to my room, put a dresser against the door and took my trusty steel bashing bar to bed with me like a teddy bear. Monday morning bright and early the other staff showed up and to my extreme surprise, so did the missing researchers. It turns out that they had taken an unplanned trip into the city for the weekend, and no one had bothered to tell me that I was going to be solo at the base. I was quite relieved that they were okay, but I was still really disturbed by the noises I had heard as there was no freaking way I had imagined them. In retrospect, the noises were very likely caused by the same phenomena I was observing in the atmosphere. When a strong event happens it can disrupt radio communication, bounce signals around, or trigger some old radios to detect a carrier and blast static. It's quite likely that the noises I heard were that damn radio I had turned up triggering when those strong events happened. All told, I was glad things turned out the way they did, that the other two researchers were safe, and that the noises I heard were probably just the radio embellished by my dumb decision to watch a horror movie about people in the same damn situation. That said I was still very glad to be out of there the following day, as there was one detail to the experience that just did not add up. Remember the cup of cold coffee and crust I mentioned earlier? It got tidied up some time on Sunday, as it was not there when I got up bright and early Monday. Now granted I was sleep deprived and stressed the hell out, but I do not remember touching it. In fact it goes against my philosophy on such matters that people should clean up their own messes. Each of the two researchers, the manager and the mechanic all said they were in town from Friday night until later in the morning on Monday, so it wasn't them, but I am also pretty damn sure that it wasn't me. And that bothers me to this day. My dad, in 1978, was a Portland, Oregon policeman for 30 years. And once a year I went with him while he did his police work for a book report at school or something. I was 12. He worked on the graveyard shift, coming home at 4 in the morning, 
about seven miles north of Hubbard, Oregon. We lived down a gravel road about one mile from a school. It was all gravel but it was long enough for two cars to go past each other. And we were just, you know, half asleep but awake. He and I both saw something leap across the road as if it had already been running. It jumped onto the whole road which was at least 10 feet wide. It didn't even step into the middle. It jumped off the edge of the ditch and right into the orchard next to where we lived. I looked at my dad and he looked at me. He was a very quiet man but we just said, what was that about? We got to the house and parked the car in the driveway and we were both running trying to get through the door as fast as we could. When I went to bed that night, I felt like it was morning because I was so anxious. I told my sister that we're moving my bunk beds, to the far wall away from the window. Afterward, I didn't talk to anyone except my mom and I didn't have any close friends and school was out. But then it happened again. A week later a doctor in his small red Volkswagen drove down the same road towards town. He saw the same thing and was so scared that he stopped at the police station. Of course, that got out and it was written up in the paper and all that. It looked just like the Patterson one, referring to the Bigfoot creature filmed by Roger Patterson, except that it had lighter hair. Back when my mom was in the hospital, I stayed with her for five days. She was on the sixth floor whereas the food court and snack machines were on the basement floor. I live in a small town so our hospital is the only one with six floors. I rode up and down the elevator so much that I knew this place like the back of my hands. Anyway, one day I went down to get a drink and a Kit Kat. Everything was normal except the Coke machine card reader didn't work. When I got off the elevator on the sixth floor, there were just empty walls. There are no nurses stations, no rooms, no painting, no furniture, nothing. I walked towards one end to see random size white buildings and the other end to see tall skyscrapers and a shiny, metal window type building. I called out over and over but no one replied. I walked to the elevator stop and they were missing. I took out my phone to call the hospital to tell them I was lost but my phone didn't have any bars, this was years ago with flip phones. I kept looking at the windows hoping to find some sort of person to alert but no one was down there, no cars for miles. After realizing I was literally screwed, panic attacks kicked in. I sat on the floor, staring at the wall, trying to calm myself down for a half hour. When I woke up, The place looked the same except for the elevators. They were back and I sighed of relief. I got in, pushed to the fifth floor of the maternity ward and the doors shut. When they opened, there were the basic light colored walls, borders trimmed with cute duckies and the sounds of people talking and babies crying. I found the fire escape and figured I'd take my chances on getting to mom's floor. I opened the door and I was back on the sixth floor, the real one. I walked into mom's room and she said that was fast. I told her I must have been gone for over an hour but she said I had been gone for less than 5 minutes. I looked at the TV and the bold and the beautiful was still on, it's a 30 minute show. I don't know what happened to me or where I was but I still don't trust elevators. This one time I was swimming in Lake Michigan. 
It was late at night and I just had a few beers before jumping off my uncle's boat for a swim. I was in the water for maybe five minutes and my uncle and cousin shine the spotlight on me. I will never forget the look of sheer terror on their faces and the yelling that ensued. I felt something slimy wrap around my leg and torso and I started thrashing violently. I managed to get back into the boat and on looking back I saw the biggest, meanest looking bunch of kelp I had ever seen. To this day no one knows what happened to my uncle and cousin. I was asleep one night in December of 2012 at my home in Montgomery, Alabama. I had been experiencing a deep fascination with UFO phenomena, questioning reality, and a deep spiritual awakening. I felt as if I had had similar experiences in my youth to what I'm about to describe but could never really remember details as I do with this episode. Keep in mind I'm a mother and a professional and do not want to be deemed as crazy. I have only shared this info with my husband right after it happened. I felt as if I was dreaming and I was back in my childhood home, several miles from where I actually was. In the dream I woke up and wandered outside as if I was being called to do so. I was then in my former neighbor's front yard. There was a silver disc with three wonderful human-like beings. One felt male and the other two felt female. This was a sort of telepathic feeling. I just sensed who they were and they felt familiar to me almost like meeting long-lost relatives. They emanated an incredible feeling of peace, love and other things that I just cannot put into words. They ushered me into the craft. We ascend straight up. I don't really know what was going on outside the craft although it did not ascend by any means we know of today. The craft itself was operated by one of the female beings. The craft seemed to know her. The male and other female sat on either side of me. We had a deep conversation about life existence and our purpose here on earth. We then arrived wherever where. I have no idea where. Again, just felt familiar. We exited the craft and we were inside of a building. There were many more beings of the same type. The area was large very beautiful and bright, there was an enormous sitting area where we continued to discuss very deep subject matter. The other entities were also communicating it was like a council or a meeting. I felt such incredible love that I did not want to leave. Suddenly they told me that I had to come back that I would be okay and they would always be with me. I suddenly woke up in my bed. I dismissed it as a lovely dream. A couple days later while checking my mailbox I noticed a circular pattern in the grass in my front yard. The grass was bent over much like you would see in a crop circle. I asked my husband what it was and he had no idea. Then I realized that the dream I had actually occurred and the craft had landed in my front yard. I told my husband about this and of course he dismissed it. We only talked about it again recently. It came up in conversation and I said what could have caused the indentation and I wished I had taken a picture to which he replied we should have had the soil sampled. He admitted that when I first showed him the first thought he had was UFO and then after telling him the story he was so internally shaken up he couldn't think about it. 